That's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, page 969 of the Bibles. So starting at verse 10, sorry, chapter 10, verse 1. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. And then jumping on to chapter 11, verse 1. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. And I thank so much for speaking. And I want to say just welcome again. And also just to say welcome to Sean and Scott. Is that right? Simon. 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 And apparently, sorry, yeah, Carrie. Carrie. So like all mixed up. Uh, apparently, Carrie was here 20 years ago when we first started. Um, so do come and say hi. Hi to them. Um, you, some of you will remember the good old days of uh, lockdown where this didn't exist. And we all met on Zoom. And one of the joys of being a lockdown was that you didn't really have to commute to get here to the cafe or to the Swiss church. You could just pop online. And because of that, there were lots of time to chat in breakout groups. And some of you were here. You can remember that. And there's this occasion. There was this lady who, who joined us. And it was just really interesting that when you spoke to her, you could realize that something was up. Uh, it, felt, it felt like she had real trust issues. Uh, she had lots of odd questions as she was asking us about the Bible. And it turns out that for a number of years, she was part of a cult um, hoodwinked by people. And you can really sense uh, the, the damage that was done to her. And so the point being that leadership, especially spiritual leadership, well, it really matters. I think here's the trouble. Sometimes it's not easy to identify a wolf when it's dressed up as a sheep. 
that are some that are really well concealed uh, in a great A sheep suit. And so what are the tells? How do you identify a wolf? And you can imagine what happens when a wolf gets into a sheep pen. Uh, you can imagine the, the carnage, uh, the tufts of wool being scattered everywhere, um, all soaked in blood. Uh, you get a hoof over here, a, a head over there, maybe not the picture for lunch, uh, but you can imagine uh, the bloodbath, the carnage that would happen if a wolf is in a sheep pen. And so what's at stake uh, with our leaders? It's not, um, it's, really, uh, it's, really, it's really significant because it's about our eternal destiny. Uh, it's the God that's been presented to you, the true God. Uh, it's the Jesus, Jesus that you worship, the true Jesus. And how horrible it would be if you spend your life thinking that you're worshiping God and it turns out that you're actually heading for hell. And so how do we spot a wolf in sheep's clothing? And maybe here's the, the challenge for many of us. Let me ask, who do you find most impressive in the office, uh, in the corporate office? Uh, the superstars, the ones who are held up on the pedestals, the ones who are fast tracked in their career, the ones who look impressive, uh, who carry themselves exceptionally well, who sound impressive, who communicate well. And sometimes how we access the leaders in the office well, it gets mixed up, it gets amalgamated with our understanding of how we access leaders in the church. And so the way we spot a wolf becomes dull and faulty. So how do we spot a wolf in sheep's clothing? Well, we are back in our letter in 2 Corinthians, and uh, there's an ongoing story with Paul and the Corinthian church. And if you just joined us, um, there's real complexity in the story. And you can sense that in the, in the narrative here, we're reaching a real climax in the story. Uh, the language that Paul used, the tone, it starts to increase. And we're in the final sort of three weeks in our, in our series here in 2 Corinthians, and it's all about leadership, how we understand our leaders. And so it's worth clearing your diaries on Thursday lunchtime over the next couple of weeks uh, to, hear, uh, to hear more. And the thing to understand is the situation between Paul and the Corinthian church. Uh, it's a bit complicated. Uh, you see, Paul, he, he planted a church, so he was their spiritual father. But then a few years have gone by, and, and these guys, they call, uh, Paul calls them the, the super apostles. They have infiltrated the church. And the way to picture how they look like, uh, they are outwardly impressive. Uh, they got really broad white smiles, uh, blue eyes, maybe. Probably not, but maybe. Um, and they look really impressive, and they sound impressive. And they started to undermine Paul. Uh, let's hear what they have to say. Look at verse 10 in a passage. We hear the voice of the super apostles, verse 10. For they, that's the super apostles, they say, his Paul, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Can you hear the voice coming through? Uh, Paul, Paul is weak. He's a weakling. Uh, you don't want a weak leader. Uh, even though we are in a different era today, uh, you can hear the ring of truth in that. Uh, we don't want a weak leader. As you can imagine, bit by bit, uh, the Corinthian church uh, were being led astray, uh, swayed by the white smiles and the, the smooth words. And the scary thing is that they, they use the right words, uh, Jesus, the gospel, God. And bit by bit, they were being led astray. And so how do you spot a wolf? But Paul, in his great love for the church, uh, he writes this letter to warn them. 
I look at verse one of our passage today, chapter 10, verse one. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may not have to show the same boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Did you hear the, the tone in Paul's voice there? I, I beg of you. I entreat you. Um, he is appealing to them uh, not, uh, to spend, uh, not to choose the super apostles, but to pick him. And so the first way to spot a wolf, uh, Paul says, unlike me, uh, these wolves, they use uh, fleshly and worldly means. And you're following the handout in our first point. They use fleshly and worldly means means look at verse three for though we walk in the flesh we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to divide to destroy strongholds we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of god and take every thought captive to obey christ see paul he he describes his own experience in contrast to the super apostles his weapons are not fleshly, uh, fleshy, they're not cunning, it's not part of trickery and deceit. It's not about using the ways of the world to impress men. Now, here's a personal story. When I was first thinking about going to full-time ministry, a very well-meaning relative of mine who was quite successful in the workplace, uh, he said to me, uh, Joel, if you want to win people in the business, you need to be successful in business. What would Paul say to that? He would say no. His methods are not fleshly. They're not the way of the world. It's not about having Christians in high places. It's not about inserting them in the government or in the C-suite. Again, not that it is bad in of itself, but that's just not Paul's method. Now, what was Paul doing? He was a tent maker. He worked with his hands. It was hard labor. He was a blue-collared worker. Now, that was Paul. Now, Paul, indeed, his weapons are Truthful speech, as we saw in the previous weeks, plain speech, the plain presentation of Jesus Christ as Lord, the word of God, and the plain explanation of it. And so that's the first litmus test. Um, are their methods fleshy? Are they worldly? Do they use the values of the world to win the world? Are they trying to be like society, but dressed up as Christianity? Again, let me try to clarify what I'm saying here. Well, I'm not saying when you say run an event uh, for people to invite them, to invite people. I'm not saying you, you intentionally put it on uh, to look poor. Um, it's fine to make things look well. Uh, but the, the point there being is what is it that you think will win people over? Is it the snazziness or is it the message? And so ask, are there methods worldly? Well, here's the second litmus test that Paul picks up for us. Because wolves, well, they promote a religion of easy acceptance. A religion of easy acceptance. Look at verse 9. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they, the super apostles, say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. 
the thing we need to realize is that the super apostles, they were accusing Paul of overexerting his authority over the church. Uh, look at what he demands, uh, the repentance that he demands from us, the behavior change. Uh, that's what they mean by his letters were weighty, uh, demanded for change. Uh, Paul is too harsh, they say. He's too unkind, too bossy. Uh, sin, well, it affects people's mental health. And so these guys, they were promoting a religion of easy acceptance, accusing Paul of being too demanding. And Paul, well, he exposes them. Look at verse 17. That the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. So it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. What Paul is saying is the Lord to whom he answers. I want you to imagine if you, you put yourself in my shoes there and you're standing up to speak. And if your main objective is to get people to like you and to commend you, are you going to tell them that they are wrong? Will you call them into repentance? Well, no. You will work overtime to persuade people uh, to like you. Uh, you will not tell them that they are wrong. And that is because you are trying to receive the commendation from men. But Paul, he says, my commendation comes from the Lord. And that's why his words um, are weighty. And his only aim um, is for their building up. Look at verse 8. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I would not be ashamed. And so Paul says it's right for him to exercise authority because it's for their building up. Again, it's worth uh, carrying what we're saying here. I mean, we are, I guess we're in a day and age where a safeguarding is quite a big issue. And there's lots of concerns about abuse of power and physical abuse. And that's true. There is a concern about that. But you need to realize that Paul, he's not exercising physical authority. It is theological authority. He's all about destroying lies, lofty opinions against the knowledge of God. And so he seeks for the Lord's commendation and not man. Again, this is really helpful uh, because you think about pastors who never call for repentance, are people who peddle a soft gospel that takes on the values of this world, abides into the world's values for sex and marriage. It's worth asking, are they out for the commendation of the Lord or for men? I think it's especially challenging for us uh, in a culture, uh, in the day and age of easy acceptance. Uh, you know the taglines, uh, bring yourself just as you are. Uh, we like you just the way you are. Bring your authentic you. Uh, that is the message that our culture is saying. And the danger is that we take those messages and we, uh, we think that our leaders can never tell us that we are wrong. And that is a culture, a religion of easy acceptance. Firstly, uh, fleshly and worldly means. Secondly, promoting a religion of easy acceptance. Uh, thirdly, uh, is leading people away from Jesus Christ. Uh, the picture you need to have in here now is a wedding day. It's a picture of beautiful church. Uh, the owls, beautifully decorated. You hear the wedding bells um, in the air and the music plays and the father and the bride walks down the aisles. And that's the moment where the, the father passes the bride, hands over the bride to the groom. And the very moment uh, that the, uh, the guy who's leading a service, he speaks to the bride. He says, will you take this man as your lawfully husband? At the very moment that you see in the corner, a man in black 
comes up to the woman and she says, uh, say no. Uh, you don't want a life with Jesus. It is a life that is difficult, restrictive, and boring. Uh, you cannot do what you want. And if you're the father of the bride, how would you feel? I look at verse 1 of chapter 11. I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How do you see Paul? He is worried, really afraid that these Corinthians will be led away. So anyone that leads away someone away from Christ, uh, Christ, the, the promised king from the Old Testament, uh, fulfilled in the Son of God, Jesus, um, anyone who leads someone away from devotion to Christ is a wolf, or I could say a snake. Uh, so think about Judaism, who pulls away from Christ, or Jehovah Witnesses, or Mormonism, or even Muhammad. They are all wolves, snakes in sheep's clothing. And it's interesting that it can sound almost right. I look at verse four. It's very interesting what Paul says. For if someone comes and proclaims to you another Jesus than the one we proclaim, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, do you see what he's saying? Uh, they can say the word Jesus or spirit or gospel, but there's a different one. There could be a different one. And that's why Christ is really important. Christ is connotations of the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. The Old Testament backdrop to understand who the Christ is and Jesus, the fulfillment of these promises. And so you need a two-testament shape to understand the right Christ, the Old and the New Testament. And so anything that leads us away is a wolf. And here's the last one, point number four. Uh, the wolf, they always line their own pockets. You see, in the first century, it was common for speakers to take payment for their performances. Uh, so if you speak really well and you like them, uh, you give them some money. Um, and the better the speaker, the more you pay. And so what the, that's what the super apostles did. Uh, they did that to line the pockets. Uh, what about Paul? Well, not for himself. Uh, look at verse 7. Look at what he did. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preach God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to, to serve you. And you see, Paul, he didn't take payment from them because he didn't do it for himself. It was all because in verse 11, and why? Because I do not love you, God knows I do. Uh, Paul does it because he loves them, and it's all for them. And so it's, it's quite unique at what's happening here. Uh, there's a unique situation that Paul, he intentionally does not take money uh, from the Corinthian church in order to undermine uh, the super apostles who are out to take their money. Um, elsewhere in um, other parts of the New Testament, he does encourage people to support those who teach them. And so the point here. It's not to never give to your church. Well, you should, but beware of those who lead for money because over time, uh, the fruits will be shown. How often do they speak about money? Uh, why do they speak about money? And are they better off than the flock? And so beware with those of those who, who live, 
who lined their, their pockets. And so the, you know, you can kind of rattle off names of uh, prosperity gospel preachers at this point of time. But I think the more subtle ways in which we experience it here, uh, that people who lead for the beautiful vicarage in the countryside or for the respectable position in society or for the comfortable life. Because wolves, well, they're always out to line their own pockets. So let's try to summarize what we've seen so far. Uh, we started with the question, how do you spot a wolf in sheep's clothing? Four things that Paul shows us, a fleshly and worldly means, a promoting a religion of easy acceptance, drawing people from true devotion to, to Christ, and wolves that line their own pockets. And what are they? I look at verse 13. <coughs> For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostle of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan himself disguises as an angel of light. And so that's what happens um, when a wolf is in a sheep's pen. You get a bloodbath. But the authentic minister of God is the one who reflects the values of the new covenant. His aim is to achieve heart change in individuals. His speech, a plain speaking of the truth of open statement. His appearance, and the one impressive, his treasure and jar of clay. And his aim is to please the Lord. And my guess is most of us here will probably be in churches that have decent leaders. But I think the issue for us is to not allow the values of the world to uh, creep in into how we assess our leaders. Because the one who, um, who impresses in the office, uh, you know the ones who are often praised in the emails, who have the accolades, and who are put up on the pedestal. Uh, if we're not careful, those definitions of success can infiltrate the way we think of how our spiritual leaders should be. And so the caution is not to apply the same criteria to church. It's of different values, and it's of different warfare. And the more we allow uh, the Lord Jesus to uh, imprint on our minds, uh, the one who is weak and meek, um, the crucified Lord, but the one who's also strong and courageous, as we think about him, that is the thing that will keep us, keep us safe. A verse as we close. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, our Father, we do pray that you might keep us safe, even as we think about our leaders, especially as we are in the world. Uh, we pray so much that the values of the world will not um, skew us for understanding uh, the right sort of leaders. So please keep us safe in our churches as we think about who we should follow. And please help us to keep trusting in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.